All right, good morning and welcome to Web3 Wednesdays. I am your host, Sam Purefoy, and together we're gonna dive into some of the more nuanced topics in Web3 at large and how they impact the decisions that you may need to make in the coming years. Today on the show, we're joined by Dan Patterson, general partner of Esfermion, an NFT ecosystem-focused fund that's driving forward the emergence of the open metaverse by investing at every level of the development stack. Dan and Esfermion's work across the broader gaming, media, and user content sectors has helped to pave the way for a number of successful projects across the space, like OpenSea, Yield Guild Games, and Aletheia AI. Dan, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get right to the punch. Uh, what does ownership in Web3 mean to you? And what immediately comes to mind as important you know, versus Web2 in that capacity? Uh, yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about ownership in general and kind of it's, uh, you know, what, what it means on kind of a philosophical level because we are focused on NFT investing. Um, a lot of people kind of ask a synonymous question that is like, what is this metaverse? How does it form? What does it come to be look like? And I think a lot of that has to do with just ownership facilitated by NFT assets, right? Um, we see kind of like the crypto ecosystem as the permissionless, permissionless payment rails to facilitate this digital economy um, that is going to be brought to life by users now having property rights in this kind of digital realm that's becoming an ever larger piece of our lives, right? Um, and so what ownership means is just basically us being able to plant, plant, a, fa plant a flag and uh, create user-generated uh, property rights in this quote-unquote digital space uh, or mirror world, metaverse, kind of however people are thinking about it. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good framing, uh, you know, thinking about the way that rights intersect with this new digital universe and, you know, what kind of rights you do have versus the rights that you may not have or the rights that, you know, the marketers tell you that you have versus the rights that you actually have on chain. It all ends up being a little bit muddled, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, with respect to that, you know, has this idea of ownership and, you know, maybe particularly things around copyright law, maybe, uh, has that impacted a lot of your own, you know, thesis around approaching the space? Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, you definitely come or people come into NFTs from all different sorts of vantages um, and just have and given the fact that they intersect so many different verticals, you know, whether it's gaming or media or fashion or, you know, collectibles, art, whatever, um, you kind of have to become a pseudo, pseudo expert in all these different uh, sectors. And copyright law, copyright law is certainly a huge piece of that. Right. Um, and so we, we definitely work with a lot of people, you know, smarter than myself to tell us what, what they think will work, but it's definitely, you know, still being figured out. Uh, there's a uh, solid group of projects that are like exclusively focused on, again, tackling this problem um, from a variety of ways. We've seen some like on-chain kind of governance, uh, like forum-based proposals for adjudicating like IP disputes. But we've also seen NFTs act as IP contracts in and of themselves that you can then split, do royalties, give different services, uh, different certain tranches of rights to different people uh, and like time lock those rights uh, via kind of an NFT. At the end of the day, the NFT itself is just a wrapper for whatever sort of, right. you know, it, it could be uh, a game or a protocol or an algorithm or just like a piece of art itself or a pointer, right? Uh, to be more specific. Um, but so I think, you know, this is all getting adjudicated out now and there's a bunch of different teams trying to tackle this, uh, which isn't, again, not the most satisfying answer, but where we like to think about it is again, what is possible from a kind of digitally native IP aspect versus, you know, how do we get kind of Batman on chain? Is I think what a lot of the space is looking at right now is like, all right, this is mega IP brands and they're trying to think, you know, like what's my metaverse strategy? Um, we realize that's like a huge business and certainly there's some people focusing on that aspect of it. Um, but we really think is like at its infancy, gonna be even larger than that is that kind of this uh, 
web digital or digitally native kind of IP, whether it's you know your favorite uh, NFT collectible or what have you. Um, so that's really where we're doubling down. We can see kind of this technology being um, more impactful kind of long-term. Yeah, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense, particularly in the context, like you said, of these bigger players. Like when people think IP, they think Marvel, you know, like Marvel, <laughs> Batman, the big guys. But, you know, where I kind of shake out on, on Web3 is a lot of this is granularity, right? Like we can get IP down to the level of the person, which is kind of what you seem to be getting at there too, which is, you know, you can imagine that any of these big major contracts could potentially sit on chain at some point. Is that something that you guys are also looking at? So, you know, moving some of these things that were a little bit stickier in the legal realm, perhaps around media and content, any of that into an on-chain implementation? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's more than just content, right? It's also contracts. And mm -hmm. right now we see NFTs as this like cute little fun thing that you can play with. Um, and, you know, it may just be a piece of art that you can hang on your wall. Um, my, my digital screens are inbound. So that's <laughs> blank at the moment. Um, but, you know, our vision is that, again, this asset is going to kind of touch every asset class out there, whether it is, you know, financial contracts, deeds, you know, housing agreements, car loans, whatever. Um, and then kind of this whole other bucket that is yet to be discovered. Um, so whether it is just IP for a specific piece of art or more complicated legal agreement, financial contract, whatever, I mean, I think we're seeing that a little bit today or, or this week even um, with the kind of YGG merit circle yes. drama that's going on. So again, like what does it mean for a contract to be on chain versus having a legal entity that's represented by some sort of token, token voting system? Um, so I think it's super unclear at the moment. I think that's probably where the space is headed is toward a more kind of open um, on-chain governance type mechanism, but then that comes with its own whole host of issues and problems as well. So I don't think there's a clear, like, you know, this is exactly where everyone needs to be headed or very much figuring out these problems in real time. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the YGG merit circle situation because it is a classic, classic, you know, uh, example of exactly what we're talking about. Because for those uh, th those listeners that aren't aware, so a long time ago, uh, YGG Yield Guild Games invested in Merit Circle. They invested at a certain price. Uh, a certain number of Merit Circle contributors this past month or so have uh, been up in arms about certain activities of YGG or lack thereof activities. Uh, and they've basically proposed rescinding the original investment contract, which was a paper contract between YGG uh, and Merit Circle Limited. And, you know, it, it seems like today there is a little bit of resolution going on right now. Uh, and it, it sounds like, you know, potentially YGG may, you know, buy back out their previous bid or Merit Circle may, you know, buy YGG back out for like some reduced share price. But the the net of the situation is that YGG didn't sign an on-chain contract. There was no immutable and irrevocable uh, you know, consideration given in terms of Merit Circle tokens. And so you end up with this mix where an on-chain group, this DAO, has basically now voted to rescind an off-chain contract. And those are two worlds that you know, we're going to have to make those mix over the next couple of years. Yeah, 100%. And again, I think it's... Same like we're seeing in kind of the meat space regulatory landscape with the SEC bringing certain enforcement actions like that. These issues are getting sorted out kind of case by case. We're going to see the same thing happen. You know, that, that's kind of where like the traditional regulatory framework meets kind of the new novel crypto business. We're also seeing that with, you know, the novel crypto regulatory framework interfacing with like the traditional meat space uh, legal framework. Um, so again, like these things are going to have to get sorted out kind of case by case. I, from like a, 
you know, uh, we're, we're investors in YGG, just, you know, so that's a front, so I don't want to speak like uh, too implicitly about this. Um, but, you know, it's, th these things are going to need to get sorted out. I think this is a early case and kind of uh, things yet to come. Um, and so just like, you know, the process are going to move through the, the legal course in the meat space. We're going to have our, our down courts and, you know, those are going to connect with the meat space at some point in the future. Right. So I, I like to think that it's much better uh, for the ecosystem as a whole when we're, you know, standing by agreements and honoring contracts and working collaboratively. And, you know, th that's kind of my general framework for, you know, how we want to push the space forward. But yeah, people are going to be asking these questions and it's good to get some answers on the table. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, this intersection of, of meat space and metaverse is uh, definitely where my eye is going to be in, in 2022 plus. And so, yeah. you know, as we, we kind of think about, you know, again, what you do own, what you don't own, what is actually yours, what isn't yours, you know, kind of going back to NFTs for a second. Uh, you know, if you buy an NFT a lot of times, and you mentioned this earlier, it's kind of a redirection to somewhere else. Like the NFT points somewhere else. The NFT renders an image stored somewhere else. And something that's come up over the past year and people have become increasingly aware of is the fact that they may not actually own the image on the other side of the NFT. And maybe not even for a copyright or an IP reason, but just because it's hosted on some random feller's AWS server. Because mm -hmm. all that that NFT has inside of it is a URL that says load this image at that link. And so it's mm -hmm. something that it seems the NFT community is kind of coming around to. And so, you know, where do you see that shaking out in the future, right? Like, do we have a future where we do have centralized NFTs? Are centralized NFTs even a good thing? You know, how does that kind of look? Yeah, I think you're going to see kind of a landscape of options. A couple ideas kind of that came to the forefront immediately were, you know, there are on-chain NFTs, right? At the end of the day, like cyber brokers, Avastars was, you know, a great early example of this. But like at the end of the day, if you want to pay the price, you can put like the full NFT, you know, data metadata on-chain, right? It's going to be way more expensive, but it doesn't give, you know, projects like that a certain, you know, austere of permanence and credibility and things like that. Obviously, you kind of as you move from IPSF and Airweave options to just like it's sitting on AWS server, I think for sure it's just kind of a ticking time ticking time bomb before we have you know certain projects just kind of disappear and a huge amount of value evaporate. We saw a similar case with uh, um, the marketplace on Tezos, right? And a solution there was that um, again a portfolio company of ours, Club NFT, was able to come in and kind of save save those assets for the users that were unaware of this issue, right? So again, that's just another product looking at a solution being like, hey, wouldn't it be great if users could back up all their data for the NFTs that they own, right? Just like we do with traditional data servers and things today, right? Like you have backups of all the things you find important in your digital life. It makes total sense that users are going to do that for their NFT collections as well. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that 100%, which also kind of touches on another, you know, really interesting topic in Web3 right now, which is, you know, this idea of storage and as much that storage is quite expensive on chain and it ties in directly to NFTs and metaverse and gaming and all of these big hot button themes that were really, you know, boiling in 2021. And so, you know, as some of this fundamental infrastructure like storage is being built out, you know, are you guys paying attention to any particular implementations on your side? Have you seen anything that interests you in that particular category? You mean in terms of like the uh, distributed storage providers? Like That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So like a, like a Web3 forward or friendly storage capacity for things like NFTs or other. Yeah, I think those two are pretty much, you know, 90 plus percent of market share at this point. So I, I don't think we're necessarily looking at new up and comers to that. Not, not that, we'd, that we'd be opposed to it. Um, I think for what exists today that those are, you know, 
more, more than adequate. I do think it just, again, the more tools you can provide users to, you know, understand this is again, a whole myriad of solutions are going to pop up to this, right? We're seeing a ton of like browser extensions that do the actual like metadata search background storage for you that are providing pseudo credit ratings for different projects, NFT collections, whether it's like just getting information into the hands of users and then allowing them to back up that information themselves and actually doing something with it. Um, so I, I don't know if there's like a, Hey, here's like an XYZ new storage provider that we're looking at but it more is just giving the users information about what they hold, where it's stored, and then giving them an alternative if they so choose. Yeah, and I, I like that framing because it, it aligns pretty well with something that I tend to focus on a lot, which is like the way that we get Web 2 into Web 3, in my opinion, is really focusing on the UX. Like very, very clean, very simple UX where you know it's it's not a big value jump for an ordinary internet user to come in and see exactly what they need to do to interact with the protocol. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm always happy to see more, you know, projects like that and infrastructure to that degree spinning up. Yeah, 100%. I think some of the questions I always get when I'm talking to my friends who kind of work in the web two startup tech world is, you know, to like, when are, when are they going to, when is crypto going to start hiring, like, you know, product design or PMs and things like this and actually kind of get it more into like an established like product development, uh, life cycle. And we're like, you know, it's, it's coming soon. And then I always ask the founders and they're like, well, we could just use that money and hire two more badass engineers. <laughs> get your point but eventually we're going to kind of need to go down that road and really focus on the ui and the user interface for all this type of stuff yeah you can you can only clone uniswap and the same nft marketplace so many times exactly right it's like um, something a little bit different yeah no it, it it definitely needs to mix up uh you know moving back kind of uh to you know chatting around DAOs in general um this is another huge huge topic within the realm of ownership within web3 because when we think ownership, we think you know tokens, NFTs, uh, perhaps rights that may be associated with either one of those, and DAOs ultimately come up because you know DAOs as collections of people or entities that some piece of functional ownership. Uh, in my opinion, you know it seems like there's a lot of fake DAOs out there, and you know the SEC has even gone as far as to call those dinos, which are DAOs in name only, and they you know they're DAOs where the tokens perhaps don't actually confer any rights at all. And the token mm -hmm. instead is basically just used as like a counter, like you get one thumbs up for every token you have, but there's no real on-chain rights. Uh, and I think it's a really complicated you know, question because there are a lot of projects where perhaps on-chain rights don't make any sense. Um, mm -hmm. But then there are a lot of other projects where it doesn't make sense to market it as a DAO if it's not really a DAO. So mm -hmm. where do you, you know, kind of shake out on that? Yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, how do we actually get these token economies, like the, the ecosystems being developed to accrue, well, A, the value accrual and B, the governance, right? It's like, how do we, you know, uh, link these kind of utility mechanisms? Um, I think I was kind of behind the ball on this back in kind of DeFi summer. We were, you know, full-time crypto investors back during that period. And I was just like this, you know, boomer looking at it. I was like, what do these tokens do? Right. It's like, you know, you're seeing these DeFi governance tokens trade for like multi, multi billions of dollars. I'm like, but they, there's no like direct value accrual mechanism. Like, what are they actually voting on? Like, okay, they can change some, you know, ecosystem levers here and there. But I, I was just behind the time. I'm like, okay, you know, eventually that model made more and more sense to me. But I think it's very, a very analogous situation, right? It's where we've got treasury at the very kind of first instantiation of this was kind of just like the investment clubs, right? Like mm -hmm. we've got a pool of money sitting in a gnosis. We've got a hundred people who funded it and maybe, you know, I, I think what we're seeing a lot of the people kind of thinking about this and doing this properly is 
they are setting up legal mechanisms on the back end, right? They are incorporating whether it's onshore, offshore, depending on who's issuing the token or not. But they do kind of have that. We realize what we're doing is more than just random people throwing Ethereum in a, in a multi-sig, right? Um, they have kind of that legal framework on the back end. They're giving K-1s to an, uh, investors. Like they realize people are gonna need to be paying taxes on this sort of thing. So I guess the, the token element is a little bit of a different question. It's more about kind of the DAO structuring. Um, there's great guys like, you know, the guys at Tribute that'll kind of manage that sort of process for their different collection of DAOs. And really thinking about it in kind of like a, how do we get from A to B? Syndicate is another great one, right? Where it's like, if you're serious in this space, these are the questions you're gonna be asking, right? It's like, hey, maybe I have five friends and like this isn't necessarily like the questions we're asking ourselves from day one, but you know, the institutional investors in this space are asking all of these questions, right? Like when we're looking at a new DAO, we can't just be like, oh, like how are you guys structured? And they're like, oh, you know, we're kind of figuring out. It's like, no, no, like we actually need to know because we have reporting requirements and administrative controls and all that sort of things. So I, you know, again, it's like very new and evolving, but that's something we certainly look for as investors. On the token piece, again, same, uh, can of worms, right? Like, how do you issue this in a way that is definitely just not an absolute security out the door, right? And that comes more into like legal structuring and, you know, uh, kind of domicile questions about how and where you're structuring and who has the rights to it and what exactly like ownerships or kind of uh, distribution rights to this token hold. And again, you can do it in kind of a semi-security route, but if you don't, then the very question is like, what value actual control do I have via this token? Um, and so I think we're, again, unfortunately, very early necessarily figuring that out, but the people kind of taking more of a slow methodical approach to structuring this in a way that actually makes sense, maybe going through some of those like security exemptions are going to be able to facilitate more long-term utility to the token. Uh, so I, I, yeah, it's not, it's not a great question, but I think that, you know, fractionalization in and of itself, right, has kind of had a slow jumpstart because of a lot of these problems, right? If I have an NFT and I say, okay, I'm breaking it up into a hundred pieces, and you can buy one of those hundred pieces. It's like what actual on-chain or legal ownership does that actually give you to the parent NFT or asset, right? It could be a multi-sig, it could be an NFT, it's the same kind of problem. Um, which is why I think we're gonna be looking for a little bit more tooling kind of infrastructure to get built up in that space as well, right? Like what does it mean to have an ERC-20 or just like an NFT that carries the original parent metadata of the parent asset, right? So I think, again, it's just super early looking for more tools and kind of structures to get built out around this. Yeah, and I think that as those tools emerge and, you know, even the past week, we saw that bill introduced that, you know, hopefully will provide some amount of regulatory clarity around that. Um, and you've got, you know, firms like Paradigm putting out really great frameworks where people can see an easy top down view of, you know, like, how should you be thinking about down corporation in certain ways? But I think it's it's a really important point that actually harkens back a little bit to what you mentioned previously. You know, it's this intersection of the meat space with the metaverse that you've really, really got to pay attention to. And, you know, even though perhaps we either as builders or investors, you know, pretend that we would like to only exist in one or the other, ultimately we all do have to pay taxes and ultimately like someone has to run the AWS servers that run all this stuff, right? So it's, yeah. it's a really tricky set of questions. Yeah, I, I was talking to a founder kind of the other day and he was asking similar questions along the lines of, you know, why do we have to worry about all this kind of BS reporting paperwork you know we're DAO guys we're decentralized it's all on chain and like for today right like a lot of the you know capital the fun, like people at the end of the day have reporting obligations right whether it's governments you know nation entities businesses corporate like that just is kind of the world we live in maybe in some future kind of world that we can all envision we're all you know single singular global global citizens of the blockchain um but for now whether it's investors venture capitalists you know corporates whoever 
they're going to unfortunately have to play in this world and make sure they're meeting those requirements. Um, so those requirements will then be pushed down kind of on the lower layer as well. Um, maybe maybe there's a kind of pure decentralized ethos way we can get around this. Um, and maybe, you know, Syndicate's a good example of maybe what that looks like down the road. Though they are thinking about this in a very long-term way as well, right? They're not trying to avoid any of these obligations. But again, what does you know, an investment club network look like in a blockchain-based world? Maybe that's kind of a, a point in the right direction. Yeah, no, it's a, a fascinating, fascinating set of questions that we can only guess the answers to at this point. Um, the one last point that normally comes up when people talk about ownership, right? So it's the classic mantra, not your keys, not your crypto. This started way back in the Bitcoin era and it's been true ever since, right? So, you know, when we think about that, we think about pure tokens and, you know, the way that we store them. And a lot of retail people and folks who may be less savvy around crypto wallets ordinarily store them on exchanges. And they may, you know, consider that crypto their gold that they're going to bury and take with them to their grave when the apocalypse happens, right? Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is a little bit different, right? The exchanges generally actually maybe either own the crypto or can seize the crypto in certain ways, right? So, you know, from your perspective, how does all that kind of tie into the same theme? You know, like when we think about centralized intersection of crypto, uh, you know, and maybe even exchanges are a good case there, you know, how should people be viewing that type of ownership? Yeah, and again, I don't think it's a zero or one answer, right? And I, I remember when we were kind of writing the first like investment slash security piece to our first ever PPM, you're having to answer these questions, right? Because I can't have no funds on exchange because there are going to be situations where the risk reward is in the reward kind of, you know, there's there's more reward to have ready access to funds to be able to move quickly, execute on trades or opportunities that I may not otherwise have the opportunity to do so if I have to wait an hour to move funds from cold storage or I have keys locked in a bit. And again, so basically you want to diversify your kind of custody solution to optimize for like speed of access and security. Um, that's kind of how we think about it from like an institutional investor perspective. I think that the same kind of rules hold true for kind of you know your retail investor as well, right? Like depending on the size of money, its importance to you, kind of what you're hoping to do with it long term. Different sort of you know hot gold wallet solutions, exchange wallet solutions, kind of make sense kind of on a per person basis. Uh, I, I do obviously you know believe in that crypto ethos very strongly, right? User owned sovereignty, uh, personal wealth, all that type of thing. Um, but again, we live in a world where you probably have to interact with certain fiat gateways and things like that require certain permissioning and processes. Um, so I, I, again, it's not like a super clear answer. I think there's going to be kind of a swath of solutions and there's no kind of uh, one solution meets all for any given person. No, I think that's a brilliant way to put it. You just have this gradient of risk solutions and you kind of pick and choose where you fall along that spectrum. I think that's a great way to see it. Um, Dan, this has been fantastic. Thank you a ton for joining us today. Uh, you know, if there's anything else that you'd like the viewers to know or keep in mind here at the end, uh, let's give you just one second to think about it. But in general, this has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Yeah, no, I think from our perspective, you know, we're very much the NFT native kind of investors. And so it took us a while to realize like, hey, we've been so bullish on this crypto space for so long. It's like money reimagined. And, you know, we're going to bring this new Internet gold or these uh, permissionless payment uh, rails to the world. We're going to bank the unbanked. And that was a super hard narrative to sell, especially for my parents and my friends for such a long time. And then NFTs kind of came about and they were this just this joke asset class, these pictures of cats on the internet. 
And, you know, a lot of people or the mainstream still kind of view it in that bucket today. But I, I like to talk to my crypto friends and be like, look at who we've been able to onboard, right? From a user perspective, from a mass market appeal. Uh, it was these like silly digital, like emotionally significant, right? Social signaling type assets. It wasn't this like Rothbardian, like we're going to reinstitute like what, you know, like world currency. Um, and so I just think like that narrative as is kind of being uh, more and more adopted by just like our investors, our friends, whoever, it's been really fun to watch. I love that. It's a, a very human forward approach for Web3. So I like that. Yeah, 100%. All right, Dan. Thanks. We'll see you around, folks. Join us next time.